Well, it's, uh, it's good to have you all here in worship today. If you're a guest, I'm David. You know, I'm, the, I'm the pastor of the church. At least that's what they tell me from time to time. So uh, we're glad to have you here. Hope you always feel welcome. Always feel like you can be a part of the, the things we have going on here. We're in a series that started last week. Uh, it's about the second coming of Jesus. And it's not an exhaustive series. I'm not, I'm not covering everything. It's only four weeks. I'm covering the most important things that we need to know, the things that are clearest, the things that are most clearly taught in the New Testament. And uh, one of the things that I say a lot about the second coming, I tell people, listen, when Jesus comes, he's going to sort it all out. You know, I don't know, you know, people trying to guess all the things that are going to happen. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, you know, the longer I'm around as a preacher, the less I know what's going to happen. I'm just like, Jesus will take care of it. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of my philosophy about that. And so the series is entitled Sorted, um, The Return of Jesus and the End of It All. I mean, because that's kind of what it is. He's going to come and sort everything out. That's what he's going to do. And what, what I really want and hope from this series that you get out of all of this, and it's really simple, is that one day Jesus will return. And when he does, he'll make all things right. I mean, that's, that's the cool thing. Jesus is going to make everything right, exactly the way he wants it. So that's good. And uh, last week, I just started talking about the, his second coming. I, and the sermon was, he's coming sometime. We don't know when. Uh, he said, we don't need to know when. Jesus, didn't, when he was on earth, didn't know when. So we don't need to know when. You don't need to try to figure that out because you can't. What we need to do is the things Jesus tells us to do. And he said, I'm not coming back until the world hears about me. So I guess we need to tell people about Jesus. That seems to make sense. It's kind of like what he wants. And so today's message is entitled, Setting All Things Right. Because that's really, it's kind of the heart of, 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 the, of the series. And it's really, for me, of all the things about Jesus, knowing that he's going to set all things right, it's just amazing. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 for a little bit. Before we get there, what I want to share with you, what I want you to get out of this message, you've probably never heard this before about judgment, because I think we get the wrong ideas about judgment. But it's really serious, simple, because what the second coming is about is judgment. I mean, he's going to come and he's going to judge the world. That's what this message is about. So here's the thing I want you to see. Judgment is God's way of eternally acknowledging everyone's relationship with him. It's just that simple. All judgment is, all judgment is, is God's way of acknowledging for all eternity what your relationship with him really is. I'm going to share three things with you today from the message. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is the nature of God. Because it's important, I think, that if we're going to talk about God judging, that we, we understand something about the very nature of God is important. I, I hear people tell me, I read people say these things, you know, I can never believe in a God or worship a God or serve in a God who X, Y, or Z. Who, you know, I can never worship a God who lets all the evil exist. I can never you know, serve a God who would send people to hell. And I, and I read these things and I'm thinking, well, the problem is you don't really know who God is. You don't have a good understanding of the nature of God. In fact, you have kind of placed yourself superior to God. You're, you're forcing God to live by your standards, which is your problem to begin with. You know, one of some of the things we know about God, we know what he chooses to reveal to us. And the thing about the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is he reveals himself to us. He doesn't tell us everything we could possibly know, but what he wants us to know. He doesn't do it all at one time. He does it progressively. I mean, when you're in Genesis, you see a few things. As you go on and on, you see more and more. When you get to the New Testament, you get to Jesus. I've said this many times. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to us. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. So whatever you need to know about God, for us, Jesus is it. And things we know about God, for instance, we know God is holy. 
and he's separate, complete unto himself, and because he's holy and he's perfect, God gets to set the standard of what is right and wrong. The one who is perfect gets to set the standard of right and wrong. God is the creator. He created us. And because God made us, and he is the perfect one, he gets to determine how we live our life. That's his, his choice. He gets to do that. God is loving. God is merciful. His mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He is a God of grace. He does give us what we don't deserve, freedom in Christ. And he's a God that is just. And here's the thing you need to understand about God. God is consistent with who he is. We all are consistent with who we are. You ever heard, have you heard someone say, you know, an apology because they said something or did something and they said, listen, you know, that's, that's just not who I am. And it's like, well, yeah, it is. It's exactly who you are because that's what you did. I mean, you, who you are all the time. You know, which is disturbing to me when I think about me and the way I am when I'm driving. I'm trying to say, God, this isn't really me. <laughs> except when I get behind the wheel of a car and I think I'm the best and most intelligent driver there is. If everyone's driving standards were mine, I wouldn't have any problems, you know. But we are who we are. God is always consistent with who he is. He made us. He created us. And when he made Adam, before Eve came into the picture, he just put Adam aside. He said, let me tell you how it's going to be. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what God says in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, that's Adam, saying, look, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. He said, listen, Adam, this whole garden is yours. I mean, God didn't, God didn't let Adam have the whole world. He put limits on Adam. So you got the garden, Adam. That's enough. You, you, whatever. You and your Eve's going to come along, have family. And Adam, you can eat whatever tree you want, man. They're all there. You can want to eat the lemon tree, eat the lemon tree. Back then it wasn't sour because sin hadn't come yet, you know. <laughs> if you want to eat, eat a pear tree, eat a pear. If you want to eat the prime rib tree, I don't know, eat the prime, whatever. <laughs> Just the one in the middle you can't have. Because you'll die when you eat that one. And, and, and die doesn't mean he was going to drop dead suddenly, but whatever death is, it was going to come. And his physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And so, you know, God what shows us in that, those verses that he is sovereign. He's in control. He gets to determine all that. Because he's the one who created it all. Listen, when you were a kid, did you ever make a game up and then you made up the rules? And people say, well, that's not fair. And you're like, well, I made the game up. I'll say whatever rule I want. Don't play the game. Now, I mean, obviously God's not that way, but God gets to create. But not only is God sovereign in control, God gives freedom. He gives us freedom. Think about it. He said, Adam, listen, you get to have the whole garden. You get to have all the tree stuff you want. Now, the only thing is, it's not unlimited freedom. Sometimes we use the term free will. I really don't like that term because the idea of free will is the idea that there are limitations to us. That morally, we can determine what is morally right or wrong, and therefore there's no limit on what we can or can't do. We have free will. That's absolutely not true. There's always limits on what we can or can't do. God sets the limits. What God gives is freedom, but he gives us the freedom to follow him, and he gives us the freedom not to follow him. We say, why is that? Because it's simple. To truly worship, serve, and love God, we must be free not to do those things. To have the freedom to do it, we have to have the freedom not to do it, to disobey him. And that's exactly what happened. Adam sinned. Genesis 3, he wanted to be God. That's what it says. You be like God. And that's what Adam decided. I want to be the God of my own life. And from that point forward, all sin is our desire to be the God of our own lives. God sends Jesus, which is consistent with who he is, to die on the cross for us. In the book of Hebrews, 
the author was writing to primarily Jewish people who were either Christians or thinking about becoming Christians, though, who were thinking about rejecting Jesus to going back to the Jewish system. And he talks about how Jesus is superior to the angels and to the law and to the old Moses and to the old covenant. And he's talking about the old covenant. And in Hebrews chapter 9, this is what the author writes. And just as he is destined, for, just as it is destined for people to die once, we're all going to die until Christ comes. And after that comes judgment. You're going to die and judgment's coming. That's for sure. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he came one time to bear our sins. He will appear a second time, not to bear our sins, but to complete the salvation without any reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. In other words, to those who follow him. So what we see is simply this. We have sinned and rebelled against God. God sent Jesus into this world for us to follow him, and there is no other way. And, and after you die, you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be judged, and that accountability, that judgment, is in relationship to who Jesus is and whether you follow him. That is consistent with the very nature of God. He's acting the way he acts. He didn't have to save us, but in his mercy, in his love, in his grace, he decided to save us. And he decided to save us in Jesus. That was his decision to do it that way. And in doing it that way, he is totally just, totally holy to hold us accountable as to whether or not we trust Jesus. It's the nature of God, consistent always. This brings you to the second thing I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about Paul, who had a few days to kill in Athens. Although I preached about Paul, in fact, this time last year, I preached a whole series about Paul. I did it that same thing a few years earlier. Paul... Paul is this amazingly brilliant guy. I don't think we realize just how brilliant Paul is. I don't think we always sometimes get just what all Paul did. Sorry. It's okay. So I, I was at Park Hills Baptist. I'm going to tell you the story. It's funny. I'll cut something else important out later. But I was preaching. I was on staff, and I was preaching. And we had this military family up front. And... Um, the mama was tough, 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 tough. He was a colonel. She was tough. It was a Sunday night, and this one kid was acting up. He was just acting up. And mom, mom, dad kept warning. Mom kept warning. Mom picked him up. Finally, she had enough. I'm preaching. And it was, uh, you know, had pews, and she's grabbing him. And she's walking out, and he's grabbing every pew, man. And she pulls him aside. And he grabs another pew, and she pulls him aside. He grabs people, and she's pulling him. She's ticked. And his dad's going. He gets to the back door. And as he walks out the back door, he yells, somebody save me. <laughs> We love babies. Someday somebody's going to save them in Jesus. It's okay that you have kids. Sometimes the kids get a little rowdy. It's the adults who get rowdy we don't like. So be sure everybody knows and they know it's all okay. It doesn't bother me. It's just, I just thought of that story when she was walking. It made me laugh. Where in the world? Oh, a few days to kill Athens, man. So Paul, so at the start of uh, in Acts 16, Paul's going on his second missionary journey. Paul's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And, uh, and, and you know, Paul, Paul goes to Europe, he goes to Philippi, and then from Philippi, he had great success. He goes to Thessalonica. And then, uh, but the Jews run him out of Thessalonica. He goes to Berea. The Jews come to Berea, run him out of there. And so he says to Timothy and Silas, you guys stay here. I'm heading down to Athens. Now, Athens... This is where it's at. I mean, Athens, Athens is like the cultural elite of all elite. 
It's not the most important city or powerful, that's Rome. It's not even the most important or powerful in Greece, that's, that's Corinth. But in Athens is everything. I mean, there's some cities that are just timeless. You go to Paris, timeless. London, timeless. Lordsburg, timeless. So wherever you want to go. <laughs> Man, they had art. They sang, they had songs, they did drama. I mean, they did all of that, and, and, and they had all the philosophers were there. I mean, the philosophers came from everywhere. And they talked and all that. And then, and then they had religion. I mean, religion everywhere. Every, you could find every religion you can imagine you could find at Athens. And Paul was there. And he, in, in chapter 17, in, in verse 16 or so, it starts off, he's there. And he was just a few days to kill. And he was go to the synagogues like he always did and talk to them. And then he was talking to god fears. And he was just out in the streets in the marketplace. And he was talking to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And Paul could hold his own with these guys, man. They could, all, they could hold their own. Now, for all the things about the Athenians that they couldn't agree upon, they couldn't agree upon religion, they couldn't agree upon philosophy, one thing they agreed upon was this, there was no resurrection of the dead, which is a problem for Paul, because Paul began to tell him about Jesus and how Jesus rose from the dead. And so those philosophers said, Paul, we got a proposition for you. Why don't you come speak to the big group? Why don't you come to what they call the Areopagus or Areopagus? I've heard it both. It's kind of like, you know, Spencer, Sean Spencer says, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways. That's a reference to the TV show Psych, for those of you who are in tune with culture. And so he goes. And he goes to talk to them. And this is the elite of the elite. I mean, imagine taking, and I don't like the word elite because it signifies people are better than the other. But, you know, for the purposes of discussion, mind you go to the East Coast and you get, from Harvard and Yale and Princeton, then you bring over from across the sea, from Oxford and, and from Cambridge, you bring the philosophy departments and the humanities department and all the pagans and the religion department, you have them all there. And they're all skeptics. And they're all doubting, you're gonna preach Jesus to them. That's Paul. Now, as Paul begins to preach to them, he mentions something that he had noticed in the city. He had noticed in all their altars and all their temples an altar to an unknown God to the unknown God. Now, I've heard preachers say, you know, that's because of, you know, the Athenians, they were so concerned that they may offend a God, they had an altar just to an unknown God. No. It's because the Athenians understood there was a God they didn't know. They didn't know who that God was. So they had an altar to that God. And Paul says, I know that God. He's the one true God. You can't find him in gold or silver images. You can't find him in temples. But let me tell you, about the God, and begin to tell them about God, and he began to tell them, though he, in the synopsis, Luke gives us a synopsis, so you can read all this stuff in about a minute, trust me, Paul didn't preach for a minute, but Paul had already been talking about Jesus, so he begins to tell them about that, and in verse 30, here's what we see, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God, so God has overlooked the times of ignorance, overlooked means he's just kind of let it slide, what, what ignorance, the word ignorance means the word agnostic, it's not a carte blanche that God always doesn't, you know, God always at all times doesn't pay attention to whether we are ignorant of him or not, because the fact is that's not true, in Romans chapter 1, a few years later, Paul writes that every person knows in the heart there is a God who created, and instead we worship the creation instead of the creator. And that we all know that there's a moral standard and we all break that moral standard. In fact, I'm going to preach from Romans chapter 1 in October when I preach about what it means to be human. But he's saying, you're ignorant of God. So, so if up to now God has overlooked your ignorance to the your own God, that, that's over. 
Because now he is proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. So God is proclaiming. How is he proclaiming? To people like Paul and, and the apostles and other people. He is preaching. He is proclaiming to all people everywhere throughout the world. They should repent. Now the idea of repentance to a Greek philosopher or a religious person was unheard of. To repent means to change course. It means to go another direction. And in the New Testament, it is connected with faith. So it's not simply to change and go from there to anywhere. It means to change from following you and going the direction you want to go and to where you want to head to turning into following after Jesus. It's to follow after some Jesus. So it's, it's about salvation. To repent and be saved. So he's saying, you guys need to repent. And if he hasn't offended them enough, he's going to offend them even more because here's what he says. Because he has set a day. He has firmly established a day. No one knows what it is, he knows. When he will judge the world in righteousness. The word judge is a legal term. The word righteousness is a legal term. He's going to judge. He's going to make an evaluation. He's going to make a determination about people. He's going to do it in righteousness, to be in right standing. Now, the concept of righteousness is to be right by the eyes of God. The word justified comes from the same Greek word. The word justified means to be in right standing with God, to be declared right by God. It's a legal term. And so righteousness and justification, same word, means to be in standing with God the way God is. So God is righteous. He is holy. He is without sin. He is all those things. So he in his righteousness, if you have the NIV, it says with justice, he will judge. Through a man, well, that's strange, through a person who happens to be Jesus. It's a person that says he has appointed and furnished proof of this. The word proof is the word for faith. So it means the idea is the exact word for faith. It means he has furnished something that is trustworthy, something you can depend on, something you can rely upon. So here's what he's saying. God, the unknown God, is about to hold you accountable. And you better repent because he's going to hold you to his standard through a man that he set aside to all people, the man he did by raising him from the dead, by the resurrection, not just any man, the one whom he raised back to life. And at that moment, we are told that the place erupted. People began mocking and laughing and scorning Paul. And some said, wait a minute, I want to hear more. And some believed I find it fascinating that a lot of modern Christians think that Paul failed at Athens because he didn't establish church, he didn't do this, that, or the other. I said, are you kidding me? What arrogance. Can you imagine going in front of the intellectual philosophers and religious people and humanities and all that of Hale, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Cambridge, you know, and Oxford? They're all going to be against you. Could you imagine me standing up there preaching and even if two or three of them came to Christ, that'd be a modern miracle. I mean, it's amazing that any of them came at all. It says people began to follow. One of, the, one of them followed Dionysius. One of the Arapagites followed. A wealthy woman followed. They began to follow Jesus. Paul made it clear what they needed to understand when he had a few hours to kill in Athens. A few days. He said, listen, you guys are religious, but that's not going to cut it. There's a God out there who you don't know, who I'm sharing with you who's going to hold you accountable, and one day he's going to judge you. So you better repent. And the reason you can repent is because he sent someone, his son Jesus, whom he raised from the dead. 
And you better trust him because he's going to hold you accountable one day as to whether or not you trusted the one he raised from the dead. Which brings you to the third thing I want to share with you. A time is coming. A time is coming when Jesus returns. And there will be judgment. And understand this, for God to be God, he must act in judgment. He has to. Or he's not being consistent. He's not being holy. He's not being loving if he doesn't act in judgment. We've rebelled. He gave us freedom to worship him. We've rebelled with that freedom. How do we know we're rebelled? Just look at the evil. You see all the evil in humanity in the world? It's an evil world that lives in rebellion against God. But God has provided a way, so God must judge. And we know that. We like, we like things to be set right, don't we? I mean, we don't like evil terrain and inhumanity. We want things to become just. Monday, I, I, I went and watched Equalizer 3. It's a good movie. Some of you watched Equalizer movie. I know what you're thinking. David, don't give it away. Listen, if you've seen Equalizer 1 and 2, there ain't no way I'm giving nothing away, man. <laughs> Dan Salesman, and Dan Sale Washington, love, great actor. He loves Jesus too, follower of Christ. You know, and he's in the movie. And, and listen, it's, it, they're all, it's all the same. It's about really evil, wicked people doing really wicked, evil things. And you're just, you like, hate those people. You're like, man, somebody do something. There's Denzel. He's there. He didn't want to get involved if he can avoid it. But they always push him too far and finds, okay, I'm going to have to bring justice. Oh, man, does Denzel bring justice? And I don't, we're like, yeah, do that. Yeah, he deserved to die that way. Blew him up, man. Yeah. Now, that's not God. I know that, but, but we know inside here. Justice matters. God is just. He will set things right in Jesus. But here's what we need to realize. We humans don't get to define what is fair and just with God. But that's what we want to do, right? We, we rebel and we sin against God. We say, okay, God, but you can't do this or that because I've determined that's not right by my standard. By your standard, you rebelled against God. We, we don't get to tell the one we rebelled against how he has to act. He gets to make that decision. In, in athletic things, when you lose, you don't get to tell the winners what they can do. You lost. You just lost. You got to deal with it. My son-in-law, good guy, he loves Alabama. He, uh, he would have played, he was huge, he'd have played for Alabama, he had blown his knee. I mean, he was going to play for Alabama, blown his knee. Good guy. And uh, my family is, is from Texas through and through. We're, we're these people, right? Orange. My, my family played ball. You know, my, my Debbie had a full scholarship to Texas. So it's just who we are, you know. And, you know, I think, if I remember correctly, Texas beat Alabama in football yesterday, I think. And uh, I know for the next year, I get to gloat and trash talk to my son-in-law. And I can gloat and trash talk to my son-in-law, period. But I'm going to do it now because of Texas. And he's got to take it. He's just, he's got to. And because I'm going to do it. You may think, David, you don't, you don't trash talk to you. Oh, please. Now, I mean, obviously it's not that way. But, but you understand, we don't, we don't get to tell God what God can do. But we do it, don't we? We're always telling God what God can do. 
Here's what you need to understand what Paul is saying about God's judgment. God's judgment is universal. It's the world. It's just. It's in righteousness. And it's certain. He said today, he's going to judge everybody. We're all going to be judged. And here's the thing. It's just. It's the same standard. It's not one standard for you and a different standard for me and another standard for someone else. It's the same standard as Jesus. And the day is set. It's certain. It's coming. And that ought to motivate us and help us to realize we need to do some things to get ready for that judgment. We may ask, well, you know, how, what is the standard? Well, it's simple. The standard of judgment is Jesus. It's just, it's Jesus. Here, I give you Jesus, follow him. And the standard isn't that what, we got to live like Jesus, because we can never live like Jesus. He was perfect. It isn't that we got to follow all his teachings when we need to follow his teachings, but it's not going to be, hey, did you follow the teachings of Jesus, yes or no? Well, I tried, I failed a few times, well, you're, you're no good. Here's the thing you need to understand. The foundation of that judgment is the resurrection of Jesus. It's not that we live like Jesus or do everything the way Jesus did it, but that we understand that Jesus died for us, and then God raised him back to life. And that's what the Athenians struggled with. People always struggle with the resurrection. For 2,000 years, people have struggled with it because resurrection puts us in an uncomfortable place. But the foundation for the resurrection, I mean, the foundation for the judgment of God is do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you follow him? Have you committed your life to him? That is the standard. It's the only standard. And once you do that, you live your life that way. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to preach from Matthew 25, talking about heaven and hell. And there Jesus is judging. And he looks at our life, and he can tell by the way we lived whether we followed him or not. I mean, he can tell by our life. Our life gives the evidence of whether or not we follow Jesus. It gives the evidence of whether or not you're a follower. And so really, that's the thing. How do we live our life? Do we live our life as followers of Jesus because we are followers of Jesus? Or do we live our life like people who aren't followers of Jesus? Well, because we aren't. One day Jesus is coming. I mean, he makes, makes that so clear. I mean, we talked about it. And, and when he comes, he wants us to be ready. And to be ready, we saw last week, doesn't mean you figure out the date and time or place, because you can't do that. But it means you follow him, and then you share with other people to follow him. Why is that what we do? And it's simple. Because when Jesus returns, he will finally, completely, and eternally set all things right. And when he comes, you get this, he is going to finally, once and for all, completely, I mean, there's no loose ends, and for all eternity, he is going to set things absolutely right. And I want to be on the right side of Jesus. I want to, I want to be on that side that when he sets it right, it's like, okay, I'm with Jesus. Not because I was perfect, because I won't be that way. Not because I'm always right, because I'm not. But because I gave my life to Jesus and I trusted the resurrected Christ. And then I lived my life to show people I trusted Christ. Mostly by telling them they need 
to follow Christ. I began the message by telling you that what judgment is, is God's, his way of acknowledging for all eternity our relationship with him. That's really what it wants to Judgment is really just God for all eternity acknowledging whether or not you have followed Jesus. And he calls you to follow him. He gives you the freedom to follow him. He gives you the freedom not to follow him, but he gives you that freedom. And by his grace, which he's consistent with who he is, and by this mercy, he extends to you an offer in faith for you to take that faith. Through nothing you have done, no way to earn it, no way that you can merit it, no way that he owes you, but just by pure grace. He says, you can follow me. Because one day I'm going to judge your whole existence on whether or not you followed me. So follow Jesus. Trust him with your life. Give your life to him. You don't have to understand everything. It doesn't have to make perfect sense, but just follow him. He'll take care of the rest. He'll set all things right in your life if you trust him. And those of you that are trusting him, you need to live like it and help others that way. Listen, I'm, I'm going to stand here. A few others will stand here. If you need to give your life to Jesus, come give your life to Jesus. If you want us to pray for you, we'll pray for you. To pray for someone else, we'll pray for someone else. If, you know, ladies, you'd rather talk to another woman, we'll have another woman up here. I don't, I don't know what you need to do. But when, when you walk out of here, walk out of here knowing that Jesus is going to set all things right. And you need to be on the right side of things being set right. So, Lord, as we come before you, now, to honor you, to worship you, which we've been doing, to share your word. Help us to be where you want us to be. Help us to follow Christ because that's how you're going to judge us, and you will. You're going to look at our life when all is said and done and say, did you follow Jesus? That day will come, and then you'll set everything right. Help us to be where right is. Help us to be with you. Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand and you come?